to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, uh, the reading from today, uh, as I'm getting ready to read, is, is from Matthew 1, but it's also from two other passages. And so there, I'm going to ask that you turn with me a couple different places at some point. So Matthew chapter 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then the second place is, is Genesis 22, 16 through 18. And it says, And he said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice." And then finally, Galatians three, twenty-seven through 29. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For, all, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this text this morning, give us grace to see with your eyes, to see, Lord, and to behold you, Lord Jesus. Lord, as we look at the words of these pages, I pray that we would look with the eyes of faith and so behold your majesty. Give us grace to do so now, we ask. We pray by your Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, we're, we're looking at a series right now that I'm, I'm entitling Genesis, or I'm sorry, Genealogy and Advent. And this week is entitled Genealogies and Advent, Blessing to the Nations. Now, last week we talked about how Jesus is, is part of, or he's ushering in the new creation but this week, uh, we're turning to that second or the third name that, that Matthew mentions in the beginning of his gospel, which is that simple title, the son of Abraham. And now, Matthew wrote to people that, we, that understood what that meant immediately. They heard son of Abraham, they knew immediately what he meant. But we don't, so we have to do a little bit of heavy lifting on the front end, but I, I hope it will pay off. And this is a Christmas, Christmas message, by the way. It doesn't seem like it at first. We're looking at a genealogy. How is genealogies even connected to Advent? But I want to I show you how it is. Just as an introduction, I just want to um, make note of something. Uh, it, it seems especially apparent around this time of year that people in our society, and I've talked about this before, but they love nostalgia, which is this feeling of like the old days. One, one psychologist, you should don't, if, you want a, if you want a good humor, uh, go Google secular prayers. <laughs> secular prayers for the holidays. If you want a good like, laugh at some point, that's what I did to find this. This is what he said, why, why this nostalgic feeling is here. He says, in a world full of stress and anxiety, people like to associate things that make them happy, and Christmas decorations evoke those strong feelings of childhood. And I would argue that's, that's really what's happening all around us. People, people wonder, but I wonder, 
and that, they'll even do this thing too where they're like, well, I hope you have a blessed Christmas. That's what they'll say. And I wonder, what do they mean by that? What do they mean by blessing? What do they mean by a blessed Christmas? What's, what substance is behind that blessing? What do most people even mean by blessed Christmas? And I would argue, I think most people are meaning some sort of physical blessing. Well, I hope you're there with your family, or maybe you're there with material gifts. I hope you get the gift you wanted. Or, or maybe just a special feeling. That's what they mean by blessing. But the idea of giving, even the idea of giving gifts is, the, comes from the same idea of blessing. That's what we want to do to other people. We want to bless them. But in all this, is there anything more than just sweet little feelings within us for blessing? Is that all it is? I would argue that as Christians, we shouldn't have such a low view of what blessing means at Christmas time. And so there's two, two elements of this. It's going to be push against, at some level, this, this secular, psychological blessing, and yet simultaneously present true blessing. See, here's the beauty of Christmas. We should give gifts. We should give gifts, and we should throw the best parties of anybody in town. You want to know why? Because we have the best blessing to give. The issue with the surrounding society, in that sense, we're even just Christians within it, is if you don't get that blessing right, we miss everything else. And so Matthew opens up his gospel where he's getting ready to talk about the birth of Jesus, but before doing so, he says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now this next title I want to address is, I'm addressing it in revelatory order. Not, so the next title would be Son of David, but I want to address it last because it's the last order within the genealogy. But those first six verses, if you look down at that genealogy, represent people who've come from the line of Abraham. And so it's really important we need to understand who does he mean when he says Son of Abraham? And what does he mean? And if you're taking notes, this is what I want you to see from today, is that since Jesus is God's blessing to the nations, we must believe on him and receive the blessing. I'm arguing today not that our society should remove the blessing idea. I'm arguing we need to get the blessing right. We need to understand what the blessing truly is, and that the blessing is Christ. Now, if a person was unclear of what Matthew means by son of Abraham, he will miss the glory behind what he's arguing for. And I want you to see, turn back with me real quick, and I have those scriptures, uh, the passages mentioned. Turn back to me, with me real quick to Genesis chapter 12. That's where we're going to be real quick. And I'm going to try to not make you turn as, as often, but we might. But I want you to see from Genesis 12 uh, the, the blessing through promise. It's the blessing through a promise, and we're referring to this as Father Abraham. Now, in Genesis 12, we're introduced to a guy named Abram. Now, I would argue that most people, when we, when we approach a story like this, we read, we know how it ends, so we think, oh, well, Abraham, he must have been a d- good dude. And I would argue Abraham was not a good dude. Abraham was a very, very bad dude. He was not a good man. He was a pagan worshiper of the stars. He was 75 years old, so that means he lived 75 years of his life as being a pagan worshiper. And out of a sheer act of unmerited favor, out of an act of God saying, I'm going to choose you, Abraham, out of these people, this is what he says in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. 
Now the Lord said to Abram, this is the first instance we hear about Abram at all in Scripture. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in all the families of the earth shall you be blessed." Now, God's promise to Abram was that he would bless him and make his name increase. But the question is, how? And this is like the the aching question of the Old Testament. And we're going to see. I'm going to trace it out just a little bit further. But So, how is God going to bless the nations? But before we get there, I want you to notice uh, promises in spite of blessing. God made promises to Abraham, or Abram at the time, to a very... um, I would put it in two ways. He was an idolater, meaning that he had a worship disorder. He came from a people, like I had mentioned, who were known for worshiping the stars. Not only was he an idolater, he also had some major character flaws. You know, like the character from a story, how we all read the character and we see what they're like. We think, oh, well, Abram, he must have probably been a pretty good guy. Let me just listen to it. give you one instance. It's Sarah in Egypt, or Sarai in Egypt. Genesis 12, you can say right there in that chapter, jump down to verse 11. Now, there there was a famine in the land, so Abram takes his family and he goes down into Egypt. And before going there, listen to what he tells his wife. He says, I know that you're a woman beautiful in appearance. It starts off sweet, but just wait. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, that my life may be spared for your sake. He's very, really sweet in that he says, you're beautiful, but he's a real jerk in that he says, give yourself up so that they won't kill me. Think about that. Husbands, do, doing that to your wife. Honey, you're beautiful. So when we get there, tell them you're my sister. That's, we see some major character flaws. Abram was a real low life. He was, rather than protecting and defending his wife and his family, what he did, even after God told him that he'd bless him, he gives her up. And I want you to see from this, this is very important as we just see even Abraham the character, the promise of blessing, even for me and you, that God is giving is not dependent. Notice, it's not dependent on Abram. It's not dependent on how good he is, how well he obeyed. And this is extremely important for us to catch. Because this means that the covenant or the, or the promise that God's giving to us isn't dependent on me and you. This is wonderful news. That it's actually for people like Abram. It's actually for people who are idolaters or former idolaters. So it's not only is there, is there idolatry and character flaws, but there's this whole issue too. He's 75 years old and he doesn't have a son. So the question is, Uh, How are you going to make a nation out of this guy? He doesn't have kids. How will God give Abraham a blessing? And here it is. He goes on. So God promises to Abram. And the promise is simple. I'm going to bless you and multiply you, and your offspring will be a blessing to the nations. This is what he says. But Abraham picks up on this, or Abram picks up on this. And he realizes, okay, I'm old, very, very old. At this time, he he was getting close into his 90s. And this is what he says to the Lord. He says, O Lord God, this is verse 15, chapter 15, jumping forward a little bit. O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, 
And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Basically, his, his, his nephew is the heir of his house. In verse, verse 3, it says, Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. So the question, the aching question is, how will God give him children? How, how will this promise even happen? How will God do it? And I want you to see he does it through two things. He does it through the impossibility, the impossibility. And it's through old age. Again, God affirms the promise, chapter 15. He says, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. That's Eliezer of Damascus. He says in verse 4, your own son shall be your heir. Again, this guy's 90. Like, go to the nursing home, and one of those people, that would be the people God's saying, I'm going to bless you, and literally you're going to have a son. Like, that's the depth of what we're talking about here. In verse 5, listen to what he says. And he brought him outside. He brings the, the literal old man outside, and he says, look up to heaven. Verse 5, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And I want you to pay mind to the fact that God is going to accomplish this impossibility in the face of, of literal, we would look at it and say it's a miracle. There's no way this could happen. And you know why God's doing that? He's doing it so that no one could look at the situation and say, look what we did. Look what Abraham did. Look, look how great he is. If it was not special, people would dismiss it. They would pay no mind to it. And notice what he says in verse 6 of chapter 15. It says, and he believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And again, that we're starting to pick up on this larger theme that we, we know a lot about. But what does Abraham do, or Abram do at this time? You'd think he'd be like, okay, Lord, I trust you. I probably wouldn't say that, but this is what he would, <laughs> you'd think he would say. Not only is there an impossibility, Abraham tries, Abram tries to do this through another means, which is through Isaac, or uh, through Ishmael. And listen to what he says in, in chapter 16. And Sarah, I said to Abram, behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. They're both in their 90s. He says, verse 2, go into my servant, and it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So not only was Abraham, Abram an idolater with deep character flaws, Abram is a jerk <laughs> through and through, listens to his wife, does not listen to what the Lord's saying. But the Lord promised and he declared, this one is righteous by faith. And the question is, are, are God's promises continually, the drumbeat of Abraham's narrative, is God's promises void? over and over again, even through human means. They're going to try to accomplish this on their own. He's saying, no, no, no. It's not going to be through that. Are God's promises void? Will God keep his promises? Okay, now jump real quick to chapter 17. I know we're jumping to a bunch of different places, but it's just a flip of the page, I think. Uh, promises kept. Isaac is finally given, and this is amazing. It's meant to make all of us, as we're reading the narrative, be like, praise God, the, the promise is being fulfilled. This is what he says, the Lord says in chapter 17, verse 4. He says, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. 
and I will establish my covenant before, between you and me and your offspring and mine, I'm sorry, between your offspring after you throughout your gener- their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. I will give to you and your offspring after you, offspring after you the land of your sojourning, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. I will be their God. And we see instantaneously God's faithfulness. His faithfulness just lavished upon a man in his elder, older years. And it's Isaac's given, and he keeps his promise. But then there's another massive tension that we can't miss. And I want you to notice who's the one who brings the tension. Here's the promise. God gave a, a man who should have been in a nursing home probably, a very, very old man, a child. But then he says, listen to what he says in chapter 22, And these things God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son. Now notice who's telling him to do this. He says, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains to which I should tell you. Can you imagine, just for a second, being Abraham? Being a guy who for 90 years of your life didn't have a child, the Lord gives you a child, and now he tells you, go and offer him as a sacrifice. Abraham is probably thinking, you just gave me this child. How on earth could I sacrifice him to you? This child is, a, is the promise you gave me. Now you're going to take him away. And I want you to see promises kept in spite of obstacles. Promises kept in spite of obstacles. And I want you to see it, and this is exactly what the Lord is trying to press upon the reader, is this is only from God. This could only be from the Lord. There's no other way that this can be accomplished. The Lord, I want you to notice then what ends up happening. So the Lord, or Abraham takes Isaac to this mountain. He goes all this distance. He puts him up on the altar, getting ready to kill him. He raises the knife toward him. And in verse 11, it says, but the angel of the Lord, this is Genesis chapter 22, 11. But the angel of the Lord God, the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And again, the Lord then makes great promises. He affirms the promise again to Abraham. And it's at this point, I want you to notice part of this promise. I'm going to read this promise to you, and I want you to listen for the word offspring. Now listen to what he says. He says, by, by myself, this is Genesis chapter 22, 16 through 18. He says, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate, the gate of his enemies." And in your offspring, or some translations will say, in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Okay, now pause. What are all our thoughts that we've talked about thus far in the Old Testament? Notice that that word offspring or seed is not multiple seeds. Notice that that, that word offspring and seed, it's mentioned multiple times throughout the promises. It's not just in chapter 22, but it's singular. Isn't that interesting? And probably, so when Matthew then, now now you turn back to Matthew, you don't have to turn there, but Matthew 1, for Matthew to say, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, 
the son of David, we'll get to him next week, the son of Abraham. Do do you see? He's not just saying, this is just some Joe Schmo who's come, and oh yeah, by the way, he's related to to Abraham. He's saying, here is the promised son. Here, in this one, in this genealogy of Jesus Christ, here is the one who will fulfill. He is the promised blessing. And since Jesus is God's promised blessing, we must believe on him. So that's just background to what he means, that that hyperlink at some level of son of Abraham. And it's meant to push us to see that this one, this Jesus Christ, is the one who is the promised blessing. Have you ever wondered why, when people celebrate Christmas, they're fine with keeping Jesus in the manger? In the words of Ricky Bobby, we pray to that six pounds, eight ounce baby Jesus in the manger. You know why people are fine with that? Because if you just keep him in the manger, he's not really Lord. You keep him in the manger, it's just a promise for someday, some future land that I don't ever have to think about. If we keep him as a baby, he's just an ordinary baby. And there's no power in a baby. What's it matter? He's just a baby. But the promise is powerful. What I want you to see, and that's, that's why people are fine with baby Jesus. But when we say baby Jesus, what we're saying is, here is the king. King Jesus. King Jesus that's come as a baby in weakness and meekness. So the promise is powerful. And that's what Matthew's saying when he says, the son of Abraham. He's picking up on this language from, from Genesis But the question is, so that's the promise, but then it comes down to how. How on earth is this little baby going to fulfill these promises? How will the promises that God made to Abraham be fulfilled? And I want you to see the second part. Now turn with me real quick to Galatians chapter 3, and this is the last place we'll stay. Galatians chapter 3, and we'll look from 23 to 4, 7. So there's the promise but it's, it's nothing if it's just a promise for some future day that's never going to come to pass. A promise needs a fulfillment, and praise be to God that we live on this side of the fulfillment. We get to look back and see the fulfillment. And I want you to see the blessing through fulfillment. Jesus, son of Abraham. Now again, and like I mentioned at the very beginning, we should want to say, have a blessed Christmas. The question is, what do we mean by the substance of blessed Christmas? And that's what I wanted to fill in the blank for. So the blessing through fulfillment. Now I want you to picture with me, just as a word picture, a guy who would be a robber. Just picture this man who's a robber, him being notoriously known as a thief. Everyone in town experienced it in small, subtle ways. He cheated people with his words, cheated people out of things, stole from people. Everyone knew it. But one day, the judge in the town, he promised everyone forgiveness, an amnesty day, if you will, if they would just turn themselves in. The robber, being a shrewd man, decided this would be a good time as ever. Here's my get-out-of-jail-free card. I'll just go, get out of jail. So the robber turns himself in. And the robber stands before the judge The judge reads off all the accounts that the robber has turned himself in for. 
And at the end of reading the accounts, the judge looks at the criminal and says, I'm loving and gracious, so you get to go free. I want to bless you this Christmas season. Now, what is your reaction to something like that? Maybe, maybe you're far more holy than mine is, like, oh, look, he's being gracious to him. But I would argue that all the people who got robbed, what do you think they, do you think they would look at that and say, oh, how gracious of that judge? No. He's unjust. That's what you should be saying of that judge. He's not even loving the man because the man's just going to go back out and rob everybody. We know that this judge is unloving. We know that this judge is unjust. What is required for this judge is to justly pardon this man. And just saying to him, you're forgiven, in some vague sense, you're forgiven. And everyone loves to do this. Everyone in our culture loves to do this. They love the idea of forgiveness, but they hate the idea of payment. They love the idea of forgiveness, but they hate the idea of someone actually paying for it. And the judge, if he were to do that, would be unjust. But what if the judge said, you're pardoned, and then he got up from his seat, he took off his robe, he walked down, stepped right in front of the criminal, looked the criminal in the eye, took the handcuffs, and put him on himself. Rather than washing his hands of the crime, he's saying, I'm going to take your penalty. And I would argue this story is an amazing picture of the gospel. That is what, who we, so you know who we are in that story? We're not the judge. We are the robber that's actually deserving death. But praise be to God in the face of Jesus Christ that he has come. The judge himself has literally come and said, I'll take your spot. Now that's a really nice story, Daniel, but does it back up from scripture? Let me show you. Galatians 3. Now, this is an example, that, like I said, that, that of, of what Christmas really means, of what it means to be a son of Abraham. But listen to what Paul says in Galatians 3. He says, Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming of faith could be revealed, would be revealed. Now, picture back to what I just said, that example. It would actually be a little different. We wouldn't be a one-to-one comparison of the robber, because in this example, what he would be saying would be the law has actually already hemmed him in. He would already be sitting in prison. He would already be sitting on death's door. And this is exactly where the Jewish people found themselves and where me and you find ourselves before we come to Christ. Listen to it again. Now, before faith came, he says, we were held captive under the law. That is, to be imprisoned or in bondage to the law. Imprisoned verse 23, until the coming of faith could, would be revealed. So that's, that's, where the, that's everyone's position. That's, and, and so when we approach Christmas, we can't approach it and be like, well, we should, we should just be happy. There is happiness. There is blessedness. But if we don't get this first piece, if we don't understand that we were once people who were imprisoned, we were once people who were enslaved by the law in that sense, We will never get the beautiful, the blessedness of this. And he says in verse 24, So then the law was our guardian until Christ came. The law acted as a kind of leader or guide for the people. It guided them until Christ came. Listen to what he goes on to finish in verse 24. He says, So then the law was our guardian until Christ came. 
in order that we might be justified by faith. So the purpose of the law was to hem in the people, to help them walk a path, but in no way could the law justify a person. In no way could the law make people right before God. That's why he says, in order that we might be justified by faith, the law was meant to be a path to lead people to faith. And what I want you to see, here's the three conclusions, if you would, for what does it mean for the blessing of fulfillment? It's this first one. In Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus, the blessing is purchased for you. So we we need to see, if something's going to be purchased for us, we need to first see that we're in need of it. So the blessing is purchased for us. Jump back real quick in Galatians 3 to verse 13 at the top of the page. The blessing is purchased for you. How, though? How is the blessing purchased? Well, Paul's already said in verse 13 of chapter 3. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, by becoming a curse for us. That word redeemed is the same word we would say of someone that took someone else out of prison. We, they redeemed them. They took their place in that sense. So Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Do you hear that? Don't miss that. Christ became a curse on our behalf. We do not come as Christians. We do not say, blessed Merry Christmas to people. When we say that to people, we are saying that the Lord Jesus has taken your curse. The curse that was deserving of you, he took it and bore it, just like that judge. And when Jesus was nailed to the cross, he became a curse for us. He became despised and rejected so that we might have the blessing of God purchased for us. Now, jump back down to verse 25, 25 and 36. Paul goes on and he says, but, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. The second piece I want you to see is that in Christ Jesus, the blessing is a gift for you. I have no idea what gifts you're planning to buy this Christmas season, but I can say without a shadow of a doubt that this blessing, this gift, is the greatest gift not only for this year, but for this year and every year following. There is no gift that is comparable Listen to it one more time. But now that faith has come, that is, that we are no longer under the law, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. The gift of God, in that sense, is adoption into his family. And then he says in verse 27, just to back up what he just said, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ... Now, notice that word baptism, what he's saying, we're baptized, is, is basically like he's saying, you have died with Christ, as Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the faith, I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. This is a gift, and there's nothing, this is the beauty of the gospel, there's nothing that you could do for it. Did you know that? 
There's nothing. That thief, that robber, who literally the judge came and put on his shackles, he's not saying, hey man, get me the money, get me the money later. He's not saying that. He's saying, give me your punishment, you go free. Be different. Because you're free. That's why. You're now free. This is the gift. It's freedom from your old way of life to a new way of life. Our freedom is no longer about our job or our possession or about the nostalgia we feel at Christmas. Our freedom is now to live as obedient children of God. There's Colossians says, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. This blessing is a gift to you. And it's not some stodgy gift, like when you go see your uncle that you don't really know that well and you know he's going to give you candy as a gift. We're not talking about that kind of a gift. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The blessing of God is not some weak, stodgy gift from an from a evil heavenly father. No, it is a blessing of, that is abundantly full of joy and pleasures forevermore. An infinite waterfall of blessing upon undeserved, wicked people. Praise be to God. But I want you to see the last piece. That in, in Christ Jesus... The blessing is your inheritance. The blessing is your inheritance. Pick up what he says here in in verse 29. He says, And if if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Now remember what we saw in Genesis. God continually said, Your seed will be blessed, and me and you are blessed only in as much as we're in Christ Jesus. That means for everyone who's outside of Christ Jesus, they will not experience the joy in the abundant blessing that it is to know God. I know you know that. I know we know that. But we need to know more than just know that. We need to believe that in such a way that tells others. So when we say, have a blessed Christmas, we're saying, have a blessed Christmas. There's, no, there's, there's a difference between saying have a blessed Christmas and have a blessed Christmas. <laughs> I know it's the same word, but when we say have a blessed Christmas, we're not just offering people some stodgy thing. We're not offering them just come to church more and Jesus will love you. We're offering them Jesus Christ has paid for your sin. We're offering them a beautiful inheritance. Listen to what he goes on to say. He says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different than a slave though he is the owner of everything. Now, he's talking about the people under the law, but he said, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But then you get this beautiful passage. So that's our old way of life. That's before the law came. Now, Paul means that ultimately, in a sense, that was before Jesus came altogether. But this is what he says in verse 4. He says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Notice that. You could literally put a parenthesis around that and be like, Christmas. (laughs) 
Christmas, 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 incarnation. Here's the Son of God. He says, but when the fullness of time had come, God, the Father, sent forth His Son, born of a woman, that is born of a virgin Mary, which is exactly what Matthew's about to say, born under the law, to do what? To redeem those who were under the law. So that, here's the purpose, we might receive adoption as sons. Do you hear that? Every other person you know in your life who does not have this blessing, they are an orphan. In the fullest extent of the term, they are an orphan. So when you offer to people, hey, come to Christ, you're saying, come have a dad. Come be a part of the family of God. See the purchase price for you to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. I've told this story before, but I feel like it's really good at a moment like this. My, there's a member of my family that adopted, adopted a young child uh, from Africa, and when he was, he was doing so, uh, he went to Africa. He didn't, he didn't know what it was going to be like when he got over there. The, the policy systems, they're, they're not the same as they are here. But he had the paperwork. He knew that's all he had. He had the paperwork when he got to, when he got to this country. And they got to the village, and they got to the orphanage, and they got his son, his new legally adopted son. So in every way possible, he had the legal justification, this is my son. But no one around knew it. He didn't even know it. He wasn't even old enough to know better. But in that moment, my, my brother-in-law went and he picked up his son. And there was a moment where the people were confused and they were like, we need him back. You, you can't take him. And my brother-in-law, I remember him saying, just, with just such emphaticness, <laughs> saying, this is my son. You, you don't take my son from me. Now, now, was he his natural born son? No, not at all. But legally speaking, he is his son. Paid for, in full, the documentation is there, it's ready. And even before this little kid even knew it, he had a dad. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave. I want you to hear this. This is the blessing of your inheritance. You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if it's a son, then an heir through God. We have the greatest blessing imaginable to give to people at Christmas. Do not settle for anything less. Do not settle for anything less. Since Jesus is God's fulfillment of blessing, we must believe on him. And in so doing, when we do so, we not just believe, we receive the blessing. And the blessing is not some money. It's not a gift. It is Christ. That's what we receive. We receive adoption. We receive justification. We receive all these different pieces. So don't settle for less. Do not settle for less this Christmas season. So I want us to pray about that. I just want to take a minute and uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to have an even ex- more exciting moment of uh, the Kaiser family uh, dedicating their sons. Uh, so how about I pray for us, and then we can, we can move into that time. Let's pray.